Throughout history and down to modern day, men have sought to gather together in secret behind closed doors. To do what exactly and for what purpose remains up for debate. I'm your host, Leah. And I'm Phil. And I'm Steve. Today we'll be talking about just a few of history's secret societies. If you have an appetite for the strange and bizarre, then pull up a chair and grab a spoon for another intriguing serving of Remnant Stew. Remnant Stew is gluten-free, organic, made from all natural free-range ingredients and guaranteed to provide the recommended daily serving of curiosity. Now, before we get into those secret societies, we want to look at the calendar. And there was great rejoicing. That's right. (laughs) Today is June the 20th. That's right. And one of our 50 states is celebrating a special day today. Yes, it's that almost heaven state of West Virginia. In fact, I think we should just break out in some Everyone else is already singing this one because we just said it. Yes. That's right. So ready? (laughs) Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountain, Shenandoah River. Life is old there. Older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like a breeze. Country roads, take me home to the place I belong. West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home. And of course, you country really roads. Pay for this. We, we <laughs> and added folks, this in, so, you know. That's that was completely true. unrehearsed, too. Uh, it may be hard for you to believe. <laughs> but just uh, I hope you broke out singing in your cubicle or in your car or wherever you are, because it just will make you feel better. That and song. I'm sorry if you cringed. That's right. Well, anyway, uh, as you might know, West, uh, the state of Virginia seceded from the Union at the beginning of the Civil War. However, the residents of the mountainous non-plantation section of the state decided they didn't want to break away. And so they seceded from the seceders, basically, <laughs> and rejoined the Union on June 20th, 1863. So happy West Virginia Day to all of our friends in the Mountain State. By, by the way, uh, my wife's mother, Margie, uh, grew up in Collier's, West Virginia, way up in the little neck right at the top of uh, West Virginia, very thin little part of the state. Uh, beautiful, was, beautiful place. So. I, I was born Is, in South Charleston. Really? And then was, uh, we moved to Texas when I was eight. I didn't we know were that. living in Wheeling, West Virginia. Wheeling, yeah, oh. way up at the very yeah, I way didn't up know in there. That. Wheeling and yeah, Colliers and Wheeling are way both way yeah, up there. Way up there. That's a beautiful state. So, do they not call that the Panhandle? That's yeah. yeah, they do. Yeah, I think okay. it is very kind little okay. tiny though. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, tomorrow, June twenty first, is the summer solstice, and this marks the mm-hmm. day when the sun's direct rays are as high in the northern hemisphere as they will get. And it's going to get hot. That's right. Oh. About twenty three <laughs> degrees above the equator. This marks the first day of summer, so happy summer solstice, except to our friends in the Southern Hemisphere, where it is the first day of winter. So our That's folks right. down in the South America, below the equator, and in I'm moving. Australia, I'm South mo- Africa. I'm moving to the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have two homes. <laughs> and, you know, uh, going along with that, you said, uh, Phil, it's going to get hot. Well, this is a special day for us here at Remnant Stew. June 22nd is National HVAC Tech Appreciation Day. Absolutely. Hey, I have a- never heard of this, which is odd. I don't know why. (laughs) With uh, summer just getting started, no doubt your AC is going to be working to full capacity. That's why every June 22nd, we celebrate National HVAC Tech Day 
to honor our very hardworking repairmen and women keeping us cool in the blazing heat. So here's a big thank you to Paul Lamp and Absolutely. all of our HVAC friends. <laughs> Change your filters. <laughs> Change your filters, Often. right. Often. Uh, and then uh, finally, June 25th, this Saturday, is National Strawberry Parfait Day. National Strawberry Parfait Day on June 25th gives us an excuse to enjoy all the strawberry parfait in the world. Strawberry parfait is a divine dessert that not only tastes heavenly, but also looks absolutely beautiful in its bright red and white colors. The dessert's name evokes images of quiet and cozy cafes in France, as the parfait part of the name means perfect in French. Oh, I didn't know that. And we couldn't agree more. So get out this Saturday and enjoy a strawberry parfait. That makes me think of the movie Shrek, where Donkey's mm-hmm. like, everybody like parfait. Everybody like parfait, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, secret societies have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Numerous prominent people from history have been members of secret societies, including presidents, prime ministers, and kings. In 2016, soon after the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, it was reported that he spent his final hours in the company of members of a secret society for elite hunters. This rekindled an interest in these unique fellowships, who continued to carry on unknown rituals for varying purposes. Members, most often men, have been tapped to join the uh, Knights Templar, the Freemasons, the Bavarian Illuminati, Skull and Bones, and many others. The allure of the secret societies is part mystery, part legend. The popularity of secret societies peaked way back in the late 1800s. Back then, many of these societies served as a safe place for open dialogue, where you could discuss things uh, sort of uh, in in seclusion away from academia and uh, religious uh, people who might not approve of your discussions. That's right. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of these started because they could talk about taboo subjects right. without consequences. Exactly. By their very name, secret societies inspire curiosity, fascination, and distrust. Conspiracy theories uh, have surrounded them for centuries with rumors of groups like the Illuminati being linked to everything from the French Revolution to the assassination of JFK. But it's important to separate fact from fiction. Here are some real stories behind some of history's most exclusive secret societies. Now, a lot of the information that we're going to share today comes from a really terrific article titled Five Secret Societies That Have Remained Shrouded in Mystery, written by a terrific lady named Jessica Pierce Rotondi. And we're very grateful to Ms. Rotondi for granting us permission to quote from her article directly. Thank you. Uh, the article mm-hmm. came on uh, history.com, and so it's a really great place to, uh, great article to go and, and dive deeper. Uh, first off, we're going to begin with the secret society that was associated with Justice Scalia, and it's known as the International Order of St. Hubertus. Now, according to their website, which is ioh-usa.com, The International Order of St. Hubertus is comprised of an international group of individuals called Ordens Brothers, who are passionate about the sports of hunting and fishing, and who are vitally interested and actively involved in the preservation of wildlife, its habitat, and the tradition of ethical hunting and fishing. The International Order of St. Hubertus was incorporated by Count Anton von Spork, 
S-P-O-R-C-K, <laughs> in 1695 and was originally intended to gather, quote, the greatest noble hunters of the 17th century, particularly in Bohemia, Austria, I'm sorry, Austria, and countries of the Austria, Austro-Hungarian Empire. Okay, so that's... I- Von Spork. Did yeah. he invent the spork? I think he's from he's somebody we may know. <laughs> from Spork. I think Von Spork means from. So he's from Spork. <laughs> the organization thrived for the next 200 years. However, in the 1930s, they denied membership to Nazis. And thus, Hitler huh. ordered them dis- dissolved. After World War II, though, several chapters reemerged, including one in the United States. However, in- admission is by invitation only. So now you might be wondering, as I was, well, who the heck was this St. Hubertus fellow? Well, their website admits that this historic record is a bit misty, but according to legend, Hubertus was a wealthy French nobleman who lived in the 7th century. Count of St. Germain. <laughs> yeah, there he is again. He shows up, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, he loved hunting and fishing so much, uh, so much so that he started skipping church. Oh. Yeah, problem there. One year, on Good Friday, while his wife and children were in church, Hubertus decided to sneak off and do a little bit of hunting. As he was pursuing a magnificent stag, the animal turned, and Hubertus was astounded to see a vision of the crucifix standing between its antlers. He heard a voice from heaven saying, Hubert, unless you turn to the Lord and lead a holy life, you shall quickly go down into hell. Hubert dismounted, fell to his knees, saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? That was a good move on his part, I would say. He had that uh, experience, yeah. He renounced his wealth and his noble position, and he studied for the priesthood, and he became known as the Bishop of the Ardennes. So that was St. Hubertus. That is a cool story. Okay. Interesting. Now, on from the Order of St. Hubertus, let's talk about one you might have heard a little bit more about, the Freemasons. Yes, absolutely. According to an article on History.com, 13 of the 39 men who signed the U.S. Constitution were Freemasons. That's one-third. Founding fathers like George Washington, James Monroe, Benjamin Franklin, John Hancock, and Paul Revere all counted themselves as members of the Fraternal Order. But who are the Freemasons, anyway? Well, the Freemasons can trace their roots to the Middle Ages in Europe, a time when most craftsmen were organized into public guilds. Cathedral builders, by nature, of their profession, had to travel from city to city. They identified one another via signs of their trade, like the Builder's Square and the Compass, uh, which is a part that makes up the Freemasons logo. Right. Like, you know, a Carpenter's Square and and the Compass, or an architect's compass. Freemasonry, as we know it today, was founded in 1717 when four London lodges merged to form England's first Grand Lodge. Freemasonry quickly spread across Europe and to the American colonies. Freemasonry is not a religion, though members are encouraged to believe in a supreme being or, quote, grand architect of the universe. Masonic temples and secret rituals have at times brought them into conflict with the Catholic Church. In fact, distrust distrust of the Masons also caused the creation of America's first third political party back in 1828, the anti-Mason party. (laughs) (laughs) It must have really stirred some people up, I guess. (laughs) A whole new party developed just to to be against them. The rituals around becoming a Freemason are shrouded in secrecy. However, membership is open to all males over the age of 21. Women can join an associated group known as the Mm -hmm. Order of the Eastern Star. 
Aspiring members must simply ask to join. According to the recruiting slogan, quote, all you have to do is ask. Freemasons exist today, and their public image has been greatly influenced by the high-profile charity work of the Shriners, a subset of Freemasons also known as, quote, the ancient Arabic order, nobles of the mystic shrine. The Shriners were founded by Freemasons in 1870 at New York City's Knickerbocker College and continue their volunteer work today. I can remember when I was a kid going to the Shrine Circus uh, when it was in the, in, it came to San Antonio, mm-hmm. the bigger city where I, near where I grew up. There are more than 20 Shrine Children's Hospitals located across North America, and they are largely funded by the Shrine Philanthropic Activities. According to the George Washington Masonic National Memorial, the, quote, all-seeing eye is a Masonic symbol of the, quote, watchful care of the Supreme Architect that began appearing in printed Masonic literature in the mid-1700s. You might also have a copy of it in your wallet as the all-seeing eye appears on the back of the $1 bill. The Philadelphia Federal Reserve claims that Freemasons Henry Wallace and Franklin D. Roosevelt purposely chose it when they redesigned the dollar bill in 1934. If you look on the back of a bill, there's a like a pyramid, and at the right. very top of the pyramid, there is, is the all-seeing eye. eye. Yeah. So Freemasons are arguably the secret society that we're most familiar with. So my grandfather, my uncles, my stepdad, and several of my friends are Freemasons. My grandmother was active in Eastern Star, right. and there actually is also the International Order of uh, the Rainbow for Girls oh, okay. that my aunt was involved in. For It's a Masonic youth organization for young girls aged 11 to 20 that, according to its website, teaches leadership through community service. So there's a lot of good that the the Masonic, the, the Masons do. Right. I'm, I had grandparents that were involved in it, too, and I, I'm even on their... On their tombstones, you can still see the right. the, symbol. the symbol. Yeah, so in, interesting, folks. Now another one. The in, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I've always liked the name of this name particular. The <laughs> Independent Order of Odd Fellows. Perhaps just, is it freely sign upable? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Perhaps one needs to be a, a member of the altruistic and friendly society known as the Independent Order of Odd Fellows to know for sure when the club first started. But the first written record of the order comes in 1812, and it references King George IV. You see, George had been a member of the Freemasons, but as the story goes, when he wanted a relative of his to be admitted to the society without having to endure the lengthy uh, initiation process, well, the request was emphatically denied. So George IV left the order, declaring (laughs) that he would establish his rival club, and so he did. (laughs) I like it that they that the letters all spell out oof. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> oof. <laughs> I-O-O-F. Well, my grandmother called it Ten Old Fools, but anyway, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes. According to their website, uh, oddfellows.org, uh, the I-O-O-F has more than 600,000 members today in 30 different countries. The historic uh, command of the uh, Oddfellows is to, quote, visit the sick, relieve the distressed, bury the dead, and educate the orphan. Any person of good moral character, of any race, gender, nationality, and social status, who is loyal to their country and believes in a supreme being, is eligible for membership. Odd Fellowship strictly forbids any interference with one's religious beliefs or political opinions. Most jurisdictions require candidates for the adult uh, lodges to be at least 16 years of age. 
rituals, symbols, and degrees are designed to, quote, elevate and improve the character of mankind. By taking these lessons to heart, you can become a better person and, in turn, help to make the world around you a better place. Good for you, odd fellows. That's right. That's a good one. The, the fact that King George didn't like the rules of one club, so he went and formed his <laughs> own club, <laughs> makes me think of the the Gross Club, the G-R-O-S-S. Does that ring a bell? Oh, no. Do you know what it is? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so it's the Get Rid of Slimy Girls Club, founded by <laughs> Calvin of Calvin and Hobbes oh. in the comic strip. <laughs> okay. It sounds exactly like the club, the, a club the boys in my neighborhood would have created. And my sister and I would likely have retaliated and created our own uh, for only girls, or we would have infiltrated theirs. <laughs> but, so as kids, we were always doing that. We were always creating clubs and setting up rules and passwords and secret right. handshakes. And I suspect a lot of these secret societies we're talking about came from the same childlike desire to belong to something exclusive right? and to have a secret handshake because it's all about Every, the secret handshake. Everybody right. a secret handshake. <laughs> you know you do. <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> the members of this next organization probably wouldn't consider themselves to be part of a secret society. Membership is highly exclusive and their meetings are closed, though. It is my favorite of all the groups that we're discussing today. So have you ever heard of the Vidoc Society? I don't V-Doc? think I've heard of the Vidoc, yeah. Vidoc Society. It's based in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it's a fairly new society. It was founded in 1990. Membership is by invitation only and is made up of the best of the best criminologists in their respective fields. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. The society was formed when three forensic experts, a former Philadelphia police officer and FBI agent, a well-known forensic sculptor, and a prison psychologist met for lunch, and their conversation turned to the topic of solving cold case homicides. Quoting from the history section of the website, quote, the trio wanted to establish a venue where like-minded persons, both in and outside the field of forensics, could gather to discuss and debate crimes and mysteries. When do they get together on Thursday nights and watch CSI? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and talk about how bad it is. <laughs> what do they do or wrong? Or how, how inaccurate yeah. it is. And so, okay, so the VDOC Society was born out of that. And the name VDOC, it's, it's uh, kind of a weird word. It honors a French criminal-turned-detective named Eugene-Francois Vidoc. Vidoc lived from 1775 to 1857 and used his experience as a criminal to develop techniques to understand and ultimately capture criminals. He was considered to be the the father of modern criminology, having introduced to investigations the practice of record-keeping, forensic criminalistics, and the science of ballistics. We kind of take that stuff for granted that it was Mm -hmm. always around, but there was a time it wasn't. Along with being the first to make plaster of Paris casts of foot and shoe impressions and being a master of disguise and surveillance, I bet, uh, Vidoc also founded the first modern detective agency. Ooh, okay. Vidoc died at the age of 82, and so the society that bears his name has exactly 82 Vidoc Society members, as well as additional men and women who have joined as special members. Oh, the, the original 82 and then all the rest of you guys. Well, I think the 82 <laughs> is is the the main part of right. the group that makes the decisions and, and things like that as far as the group goes. But then there's many other uh Members as well. And membership is by invitation only and includes people from, quoting their website again, all walks of life and include experienced investigators from federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies and the private sector, internationally Uh renowned 
forensic experts in the fields of pathology, criminology, forensic dentistry, psychology, anthropological facial reconstruction, and many former federal, state, and local career prosecutors. Wow. Oh, wow. That's interesting. The VDOC Society is a nonprofit organization, and so all the members donate their time and expertise to solve homicide cases that have gone cold. Oh, that's cool. The members present various cases to the group during a monthly lunch meeting, and then they vote on which cases they will take on. Each case must be there, – there's some, some criteria here. Uh-huh. Each case must be more than two years old. The victims must not have been involved in any known criminal activity. And each case must be prevented formally by a, lo- uh, a law enforcement agency. So if you don't, if if you don't have, like, say you have a murder in your family or a missing person, you can't take it to there. You have to get the law enforcement agency right. that is yeah, over right. that to take it. And so if the case has gone cold, then the local police then can request yeah. for the VDOC Society to, to dig into it further. Exactly. And they would show what we've done, what we found, you know, what we didn't find. Yes. And the society does not work directly with the victim's family or friends. Uh, The VDOC Society solved their first case in 1991, which exonerated a man who was wrongly accused of murder Hmm. and has been involved in solving hundreds of cases since. Wow. They are involved in the ongoing investigation of the boy in the box case. Have Hmm. you you guys heard about that? I'm not sure I've heard this one. Um. It, it's an unsolved case of a boy who was found dead in a J.C. Penney box in 1957. The boy has become known as American's unknown child as his death touched the heart of so many people. Uh, he was only around four to six years old at the time of his death. And I really think that we're on the verge of finding who he is hmm. due to the yeah. DNA and, and all of that. But the VDOC Society is handling that right now. So if you'd like to know more about the VDOC Society, you can visit their website at vdoc.org. That's V-I-D-O-C-Q.org. Mm. I got a lot of my information there as well as a 2021 article by Sarah Callums uh, for the website policeone.com. Interesting. That's really Fascinating, where they pick a pick a different new one every month and and start investigating. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they do it every oh, well, month. They, do, they meet or, every month or okay. whatever. They do meet every month, and yeah. I don't know how many cases they take on or don't take on or whatever. But yeah. uh, but they've been they've they've been key to solving a lot of cold cases. Well, now our next one uh, is kind of an interesting society that was originally formed by government employees. They're called the Knights of Pythias, P-Y-T-H-I-A-S. I have never heard of this one. <laughs> the Knights of Pythias was founded by Justice H. Rathbone, a government employee in Washington, D.C. in 1864. He felt there was an, a moral need for an organization that practiced brotherly love, which would make sense seeing as the country was involved in the Civil War at the time. The name is a reference to the Greek legend of Damon and Pythias. The Pythagorean idea of friendship. I always thought that had something to do with triangles, you know, right. uh, A squared plus B squared. <laughs> well, anyway, different Pythagoras, I suppose. Uh, so, um, actually, let's do a little side lesson here. What's up with Damon and Pythias? According to Wikipedia, Pythias was accused of and charged with plotting against the tyrannical Dionysius I of Syracuse. Pythias requested of Dionysius to be allowed to go and settle his affairs before he was executed. Dionysius agreed, on the condition that Pythias's friend, Damon, be held a hostage, and should Pythias not return, Damon would be executed in his stead. 
Well, when Pythias returned, Dionysius was amazed by the love and trust of their friendship, and he freed them both. That's where we get the phrase Pythagorean ideal of friendship. One friend will stand in for another to take, to give his life, but that friend then comes back so that the first friend doesn't have to give his life. So anyway, the original members were all government employees. They claimed this is their first, the first fraternal order to be chartered by an act of Congress. Hmm. The Knights of Pythias supports charitable, benevolent, fraternal, and social activities through its subordinate lodges. The primary charity supported by the Supreme Lodge is the American Cancer Society. Many other charities and programs are supported by their Grand Lodges and subordinate lodges, and they are also closely affiliated with the Boy Scouts of America. Oh, wow. So that's cool. the Knights of Pythias. Okay. And speaking of knights, let's go back to an ancient one, the Knights Templar. Ooh. I've heard about this a lot, but I didn't really know much about it until I started uh, researching for this, this uh, episode. The Knights Templar were warriors dedicated to protecting the Christian pilgrims to the Holy Land during the Crusades. The military order was founded around 1118 when Hugues de Payens, a French knight, created the Poor Fellow Soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon, or the Knights Templar for short. Headquartered at Temple Mount in Jerusalem, members pledged to live a life of chastity, obedience and poverty, abstaining from gambling, alcohol, and even swearing. And they remind me of the good guys from the Westerns that I used to watch on Saturday morning TV. Get out your white hat. Put your white hat, yeah. And they never did any of those bad uh, stuff. It sounds like... Roy Rogers and Gabby Hayes, you know. It sounds to me like entering the priesthood. like <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> right. Anyway, the Knights Templar were known for more than their military prowess and moral lifestyle. They became one of the most wealthy and powerful forces in Europe after setting up a bank that allowed pilgrims to deposit money in their home countries and withdraw it in the Holy Land. Imagine that, international banking back in the 1100s. That was mm. pretty far thinking. They were highly trained and became known as fierce fighters. They acted as the advance force in a number of battles of the Crusades, including the Battle of Montesquieu. Okay, what is that? Montesard. 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 Uh, where they've helped greatly outnumbered Christian forces defeat an army led by the great Muslim commander Saladin. A part of that fierceness probably came from their religious devotion, which allowed them to see breaking their vows as a fate worse than death. The rule of the Knights Templar called for them to never retreat, surrender, or charge without being ordered to do so first. Their influence swelled to a new high in 1139 when Pope Innocent II issued a papal bull exempting them from paying taxes and decreeing that the only authority they had to answer to was the Pope himself. Oh, wow. At the apex of their power, the Knights Templar actually owned the island, what's now the island nation of Cyprus, a fleet of ships, and they lent money to kings. But not all kings were happy customers. <laughs> when the Here Crusades came to an end, the Knights Templar withdrew to Paris, where they focused on their banking endeavors. On October 13, 1307, King Philip IV of France, whom the Knights Templar had denied additional loans, had a group of knights arrested and tortured until they made false confessions of depravity. In 1309, the city of Paris watched dozens of Knight Templar uh, as they were burned at the stake for their alleged crimes. Mm. Under pressure from the French crown, Pope Clement V formally dissolved the order in 1312, and redistributed their wealth. Goodness. So, yeah. 
rough times back in the Middle Ages, you know. And now for something completely off-topic and off-kilter. Brace yourself for the oddity du jour. Speaking of churches and all of that kind of stuff, from Atlas Obscura. I saw this the other day, too. (laughs) I learned about a very unique church. It's a church divided. Literally divided. Has been known to happen. Yeah. It has a road running through it. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> that is divided. So in the United States, if someone wants to start a church in a community, they usually choose a community building or school to meet in. And then as the church grows, they right. find a vacant building to rent or they purchase land and build a church. Right. But in other parts of the world where the culture and people have a long history in the area, the location of a church is usually in a place that's been considered holy for many years, sometimes even hundreds of years. Right. There is a small Roman Catholic church called Sanct Maria, so meaning Saint Maria, right. in the Austrian state of Carinthia. The location of the church is on a very old road that was formerly an important Roman trade route from Venice to Salzburg. And as early as 1443, there was a shrine in that location to encourage travelers to pray. Okay. In 1754, the roadside shrine was replaced by a chapel. And since there was not much room between the road and the steep slope of the land, the Uh sanctuary was built about two meters above the road, and the parishioners would just gather in the road to attend services. (laughs) Well, as the congregation grew, there was a reluctance to stand in the rain or even in the sun. (laughs) So a two-story structure was built to protect the faithful from the elements and provide a place to sit and to kneel during worship. The only place to build it was on the other side of the road. <laughs> so it was designed to be an open structure that faced the road, just as the chapel where the pastor would hold service was also an open structure that pay- faced the road. So they faced each other. Services right. then took place in the two buildings with the priest in the chapel and the congregants in the other building, both facing each other across the road. <laughs> Services would occasionally have to pause as traffic passed through. <laughs> <laughs> and the louder the engine. Yeah, yeah and all that yeah. jazz. Uh-huh. No, the church at one time, well, we're talking about what, the 1700s. Right, so I don't right. know if it was an engine necessarily, right. but um, the church at one time had a fresco based on a design by Michelangelo. It has a heart-shaped font for the holy water, right. and there's a wooden bell tower with an inscription on the chapel that translates to, by his blood we have been justified. The church is still maintained and preserved by the city of Gamund. Gamund, I think is how it's pronounced. Yeah. Because in the 19th century, the community representatives committed themselves by a document to keep the church forever. Oh, okay. And the oh, document wow. is still binding. <laughs> well, yeah. Services there are only held occasionally, though. The road is still in use. <laughs> so, so you could just travel right through right. that church. Or pause. Drive through. And I got my info from... That wonderful Atlas Obscura. Woo-hoo. It makes me think of that. Remember that old movie Brewster's Millions? Uh, uh, with uh, the guy was a baseball player, and there was a train that actually ran through the outfield. They had to stop play stop whenever the train went train. by. <laughs> there you go. Well, now back to our secret societies. This one is certainly uh, uh, in popular conversation from time to time. It's called the Illuminati. I didn't realize though that they were much older than. Uh, than I thought. Uh, they were founded by Professor Adam Weishaupt, W-E-I-S-H-A-U-P-T, in Bavaria on May 1st, 1776. Weishaupt, chafing at the power of the conservative Catholic Church and the Bavarian monarchs, sought to cast aside organized religion in favor of a new form of, quote, illumination Ooh. through reason. 
Inspired oh, by this, really? yeah, <laughs> inspired by the spread of the Enlightenment across Europe, he also drew upon ideas expressed by the Jesuits because he himself was a former Jesuit, and also the Freemasons. So he's kind of a pick and choose, kind of a new, kind of a creative thing going on I here. Kind of like your stuff, maybe yeah, a little bit well, of yours. Okay, so I, most people know the the Illuminati from Dan Brown's right. books, yeah. you know, and so I'm. You say that that you're surprised that it was that old. I'm surprised that it was that new, honestly. Yeah. I thought it <laughs> went back true. further. And I think that uh, one of the things that they held was they were they were really into science. And Catholic yeah. like Church was taking a long time to accept science. Catch up on, and I yeah. think the heliocentric version of the solar, solar system, system was one of the things that the Illuminati got together to discuss. Right. And then Galileo was part of it. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he recruited heavily from the from the uh, Masonic Lodge, and um, some of, he really was trying to get some of the wealthiest and the most influential men in Europe. Members of the Bavarian Illuminati, referred to as perfectibilist, perfectibilist, yeah, were broken into three tiers of increasing power and drawn from the social elites, including noblemen like former Freemason Baron von Knieg. And writer Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. All uh, communication was in cipher, and members were given classical nicknames. In fact, Weisskopf's was uh, Spartacus. That's a great nickname. But, <laughs> <laughs> the organization flourished before being stamped out by Carl Theodore of Bavaria, who issued an edict making membership in the Illuminati punishable by death in 1787. And they went underground. <laughs> the death of the Bavarian uh, Illuminati did not quell gossip about their clandestine activities, and conspiracy theorists have linked the group to everything from the French Revolution all the way up to the assassination of JFK. The Illuminati served as inspiration for Dan Brown's right. Angels and Demons. Mm -hmm. Count of St. Germain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, according to Wikipedia, in the years since 1787, the term Illuminati has been used when referring to various organizations which were led to be in uh, to be a continuation of the original Bavarian Illuminati, though these links have never really been uh, substantiated. These organizations have often been accused of conspiring to control world affairs by masterminding events and planning agents in government and corporations in order to gain political power and influence and to establish a, quote, new world order. Central to some of the more widely known and elaborate conspiracy theories, the Illuminati are depicted as lurking in the shadows and pulling the strings and levers of power. Mm -hmm. This view of the Illuminati has found its way into popular culture, appearing in dozens of novels, films, television shows, comics, video games, and music videos. All over the place. All over the place. You hear about it, you see it, but you don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then uh, this next one is uh, kind of an interesting one. It's called The Order of the Skull and Bones. It's a secret society founded at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut, back in 1832. Do they fly a black flag? Uh, I don't know if they do that, but they're like a pirate. But, uh, <laughs> but they do have the skull they and crossbones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think yeah. they have the real thing. Skull and Bones founder William Huntington Russell was uh, inspired by an occult society he would visited in Germany. Uh, his co-founder was Alfonso Taft, future Secretary of War under President Grant and father of President William Howard Taft who would also be a member of Skull and Bones. The prominent list of Bonesmen includes several presidents and modern-day power brokers. Each year, 15 seniors at Yale are tapped to join Skull and Bones. 
Their names are published in the Yale Rumpus, uh, though what happens behind closed doors at the tomb, the windowless meeting space where bonesmen gather twice a week, is under wraps. Members take an oath of secrecy. Graduate members are referred to as patriarchs, while those undergoing initiation are called knights. Outsiders of the group are barbarians. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. So we're barbarians. Right. Former Skull and Bones members include President William Howard Taft, George H.W. Bush, and also George W. Bush, founder of Time Magazine, Henry Lucy, former Secretary of State and presidential hopeful John Kerry, Fortune 500 elites, and members of the CIA. The controversial 1986 expose, America's Secret Establishment, by Anthony Sutton, claimed that Skull and Bones was out to create a new world order run by Bonesmen, prompting myriad conspiracy theories. Of course. Like the Illuminati. Right. They're they're related. They're cousins. (laughs) (laughs) Now, this next one is kind of interesting. I had not ever heard of this one before. It's called Bilderberg, B-I-L-D-E-R-B-E-R-G. I've never heard of that either. The first Bilderberg meeting was in 1954 and held at the Hotel de Bilderberg in the Netherlands, from which the organization gets its name. Convened by Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, it was a gathering of powerful politicians from North America and Europe designed to foster warmer relations between the two continents among fears of growing anti-Americanism in Europe. While not strictly a secret society like the Illuminati or Freemasons, Bilderberg's high-profile attendees, previous guests have included Bill Clinton, Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel, Tony Blair, and Henry Kissinger, and its use of the Chatham House rule blocking attendees from sharing uh, what actually happens in the meeting gives the group an air of mystery. Journalists are barred from reporting on it. Meeting minutes are not released. Bilderberg attendees are selected by a dedicated international committee. I guess we must have lost our inv- uh, invitation yeah. in the mail, Phil. I'm not <laughs> it's sure coming next week. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Every year, about 120 to 140 people are invited about uh, with about two-thirds coming from Europe and one-third from North America. The Washington Post reports that while backgrounds in government and politics are the most common, attendees from fields like academia, finance, and media have also been included. The level of secrecy surrounding the Bilderberg meetings have given rise to many rumors, including unproven theories that Bilderberg attendees are behind the creation of the European Union, also the invasion of Iraq, and the bombing of Serbia. Conspiracy theorists have painted the group as plotting a new world order. Have we heard that before, it seems like? <laughs> I think each one all of these... these they're, they're all out. For something they're like all that. out to start a new world order. Uh, their official website maintains, quote, Thanks to the private nature of the meetings, the participants take part as individuals rather than in any official capacity, and hence are not bound by the conventions of their office or by pre-agreed positions. So they just get together behind closed doors and share ideas. That's what they say anyway. (laughs) If you don't believe any of the conspiracy theories. I want the crazy handshake. I just want that. That's all I want. (laughs) We need to have a a remnant stew handshake. I think we do. And password and all of that. Work on that. Well, most of the <laughs> shenanigans. Well, most of the secret societies we've talked about have a purpose that's clear to see, usually to provide service to their community. And the only reason they are secret is because you have to be a member in order to witness their rituals and see what goes on in their meetings. This next secret society is not that way. It is shrouded in complete mystery from its origins to its purpose, 
and he even who even belongs in the group. We're not even sure it's a secret society. <laughs> it, it could be the work of just one human being. Not likely, but it could be. And I'm talking about Cicada 3301. Ooh. That's not the year it was formed, right? No. Because that hasn't happened yet. Well, nope. unless it's going in reverse. Yeah, maybe they're right. time travelers. Right. Yeah. But now, Cicada 3301 surfaced on the internet on January 4th of 2012 when a puzzle was posted to 4chan, immediately drawing the attention of people interested in figuring out what this was. The puzzle ran for nearly a month and began with a posting of an image. So the, the original image was of a message that began by saying, hello, this is quoting, hello, we are looking for highly intelligent individuals. To find them, we have devised a test. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it went on to state that there was a secret message hidden in the image. This began an Internet scavenger hunt that would come to be known as the most elaborate and mysterious puzzle of the Internet age. Mm. The original image contained metadata that, when deciphered, led to a website that yet had yet another image, which led to a book and so on. The Internet went wild with people all over the world trying to solve the puzzle. Oh. But what was it for? A game? There's many such games on the Internet to satisfy those who like puzzles containing ciphers and cryptography. Right. But they're just games. Their purpose is simply to provide brain-challenging entertainment. Yeah. The wording of Cicada... 3301, however, hinted at an unknown entity looking to recruit those who could solve the puzzle, but recruit them for what? Many theories were discussed. Anonymous. Yeah, yeah. Many, <laughs> many theories just were abound. They were discussed in message boards across the internet. Was this an elaborate viral marketing technique for movie or video game? Because that's been oh, done yeah, before. Sure. Yeah, that yeah. was one of the, the main uh, ideas at first. Or was it the NSA or even the CIA looking for recruits? Or some more secretive and perhaps sinister group looking to enlist only the most intelligent, persistent individuals? And if so, then for what? You know, it reminds me of uh, during World War II, the British put out a puzzle in, in their newspapers at the time uh, that was challenging. And they were looking for code breakers who would work at Bletchley right. Park. And so that's how they found the right. So that's not unheard of for that to happen. So one argument for Cicada three three zero one being an organization rather than a single person is that part of the puzzle included coordinates for points all around the world, where where at each point there was a poster of a of the Cicada symbol, uh, and and it would be posted there. And so there was, uh, Uh and that in itself was a puzzle as well. Like a QR code too. Yeah. It had a QR code in it that led to a website that, okay. So you had a hefty bank account to travel to those places. Exactly. So, so (laughs) the idea that it was just one person was kind of, uh, scratched off and it was realized that it was at least a few people. Right. A month later, another image, much like the first, contained a message that they, whoever they were, had found the individuals they were looking for, and the puzzle was over. Mm -hmm. This, however, was only the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Another puzzle was revealed exactly one year later on January 4th, 2013, and was much like the first, leading people through hidden messages within images, various websites and books, along with physical coordinates around the world where posters were put up right just like the first puzzle this one eventually led to a puzzle that would allow only a select few that arrived first to continue so basically there was a point in the puzzle that brought you to a website that only allowed a select group of people to proceed beyond that point and after they got so many people the website closed Hmm. down and there was only the message left 
We want the best, not the followers. So the second puzzle did not have a final message signifying the end like the first did. And people, again, were left wondering what this was all about. Right. right? Eventually, and this is, yeah, this is one way to get people talking. Really? Yeah. Exactly one year later on January 4th, 2014, you guessed it, a third puzzle appeared. It progressed much like the other two and eventually led to a book that was filled with runes that apparently was written by Cicada. It included theosophical and philosophical rhetoric and was taken to be the group's manifesto. The book was not the end game, though, as there were several hidden messages in it leading puzzlers to various websites. As of yet, this third puzzle has not been solved. Well, there's oh, not, interesting. Maybe That's they don't have the best of the best. Or at least it hadn't been solved publicly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, it, it actually has not been solved. I'll tell you why. 2015 Ooh. came and oh, went with go. no word from Cicada, and people began to suspect that the third puzzle would have to be completed if there was to be more. And, in fact, a message by Cicada that appeared in 2016 encouraged people to go back to the book and decipher it. Since 2016, there have only there's only been silence from Cicada, oh. leaving people to speculate what it's all about. And like you said, organizations using this technique to recruit individuals not is not unheard of. The yeah. U.S. Navy, as well right. as British intelligence agency GCHQ, and even Google, mm-hmm. have used Internet puzzles to flesh out some of the most intelligent and dedicated for recruitment to their organizations. Right. So there was leaked information from those that managed to make it to the end game. It, but it's impossible to confirm that they are legitimate finalists and not imposters. The information, however, claimed what a lot of others had theorized. And that is that Cicada 3301 was a group of like-minded individuals who shared common ideals concerning cybersecurity, right. privacy, and censorship with a goal of producing software applications in line with that ideology. Hmm. No one knows for sure, though, and Cicada 3301 remains one of the Internet's biggest mysteries. Wow. Interesting. If I've never you, heard of this. <laughs> if you're interested in the puzzles or even solving the third puzzle, you can find it all still on the Internet with plenty of discussions about each step of the puzzles. I got some of my information from Wikipedia, but the majority of it came from YouTuber Let Me Know, who I <laughs> highly recommend following. He has all these Absolutely fascinating. Uh, Let me YouTube, know. YouTube L-E-M-M-I-N-O. videos. L e m m i n o. Let That's me know. Right. That's nice. right. That's right. Nice. Well, there you go. And now it's time, boys and girls, for the trivia challenge. All right, it's time for the highly anticipated trivia challenge. Dun 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 dun. Yeah. You know how this works, folks. Like and follow our Facebook page at Remnant Stew Podcast. Like and share this episode post. Put your answer to the trivia challenge question in the comments of that post. The first person to do all of that will be the winner and will be mentioned on an upcoming episode of Remnant Stew. So, Leah, what is our secret society question today? (laughs) What popular TV show has the main characters participate in the secret society the Loyal Order of Water Buffaloes. I know this one. <laughs> I know this one. <laughs> Good luck. Yep. Hey, thanks for spending time with us. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Remnants 2 Podcast. You can also send us an email or just to say hi to, or suggest a topic for a future episode at staycurious at remnants2.com. Remnant Stew is created by me, Leah Lamp. Dr. Stephen Meeker and I research, write, and host each episode, along with commentary by our audio producer, Philip Sinkfeld. 
Theme music is by Kevin McLeod with voiceover by Morgan Hughes. Special thanks goes out to Judy Meeker and Harbin Gold. So now before you go, please hit the follow button so you won't miss an episode. Head on over to Apple Music and leave us a review. Oh, we love reading those oh, reviews. Yeah. We've been re- we were reading some the other day. It was really, really fun to hear what people say. Share Remnants too with your friend, your family, the Grand Poobah of your lodge, and any barbarians you might run across. Until next time, remember to choose to be kind and, and always, always stay, stay curious. curious.